Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us to desire your righteousness and holiness, forsaking our sins and fleeing unto you through the power of Jesus Christ, that he would sanctify us through the Holy Spirit to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was about three, I think, I'm not entirely sure, it's, just, it's this very fuzzy memory of mine, and, and if my mom watches this and, and it's wrong, mom, don't, don't tell me that it's wrong, because I very much like this memory. <laughs> but I think I was about three, and for, for Christmas, my grandparents got me this, this stuffed dog that's about this big. And I, I remember walking into their house on Christmas Day, and, and they had this window that, that you could sit on. It was like a ledge, and they would put the Christmas tree there every year. And then at Christmas time, they put all the gifts under it. And I, I have this vivid memory of seeing this dog and being like, that is the most amazing stuffed animal that I have ever seen. And I remember just like staring at it through, through all of Christmas until we gave out presents. And, and finally, somebody's like, and this is for you, Ian. And being so excited about this little dog. You know, it's not that little. It's about that big. I still have, have him and, and carry him around. And I call him Bingo. Anyway, I don't carry him around. Sorry, that, that's misleading. <laughs> but it's this, it's this incredibly precious gift that somebody, that my grandparents gave me. And we all have gifts like that, right? You know, whether it be something that our spouse gave us or, or our parents or grandparents or, or children or grandchildren. And for whatever reason, they hold this special spot in our heart. Our epistle lesson this morning from, from St. James' epistle starts out with this statement about every good gift and every perfect gift. And the way, it's, the way it comes out here is it kind of seems repetitive. And, and you might wonder, well, why is St. James, trans, or why, why is our translation spelling it out like this? And, and, and part of what's going on here is there's actually two different words for gifts. And so it might be something more like every good gift and perfect present. But, but then if you continue to be like, well, what in the world is, is James trying to do here? If you read commentaries, and, and I read several, for every commentary I read, there, were, there was a different explanation as to why James is using this repetitive phrase here. So I'm going to give you my best guess, and I will admit that in this case, it's, that's all it is, is. It's a guess. But I think what James is doing here is he's trying to make this as comprehensive of a statement as possible. In other words, all things that you receive are good gifts from above. And the reason that I think this is because if, if we read all of James chapter 1, and, and, and we start to realize James is writing to a church that has faced trials and hardships. The individuals, the individuals have faced hardships because they follow Christ. And, and and it can be easy to just think of gifts as those pleasant things like bingo, who, who I still love dearly to this day. But, but, but James actually starts out his epistle like this. Count it all joys, 
my brothers or brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that by testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, when the Lord sends us through trials, it's so that we can learn to trust the Lord more. So that we can learn to flee unto him. So that we can learn to offer him these trials in prayer and trust that he will see them through. And so when we come to this part about gifts, I think what what James is trying to say is, yes, you may have gone through these trials and that was the will of the Lord, but good can come from that. The Lord can use those for good. And then he goes on to tell us why we can know that this is true. First, he says that they come down from the Father of light. In other words, God is the Father of light. In other words, God is holy. God is our Father in which there is only goodness. There is only right justice and right mercy. God is the Father of light because he is holy. And there is no variation, no shadow shadow of change. We have, as you, as you know, probably know, maybe not, uh, several men who are in the process of praying about whether or not they want to enter ordained ministry. And so I've been training them like, well, how do you give a sermon? And, and do all kinds of different things like that. And, and talking with them after their sermon, I, I ask one of the things I ask is, well, did you think about 20 things afterwards that you should have said? And, and if they're being honest, the answer is always yes. Because I always, after the sermon, I'm like, oh man, I should have said this, or I should have said that, or maybe that wasn't endued with quite as much grace. I face these self-doubts, and and they face these self-doubts, just as you probably face these questions about what you've done afterwards. God's not like that. He doesn't change. He doesn't go, he doesn't, he didn't create the earth and be like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should have put that hill over here or something like that. All that he does, he knows that he does and he does it well. <clears throat> and Jesus drives home this fact that the Lord gives good gifts. And you probably are familiar with this passage in Luke 11, where he says to the disciples, what father among you, or those who are listening, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish instead of a fish, gives him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, even in our sinfulness, we know how to take care of our children. But God, who isn't sinful, God, who is perfect and holy in every way, is going to care for you and give you the good things that you need. In other words, all that the Father gives, all that he wills for his children, turns to good for his glory and our growing. But as we go on, we see that James is now actually going to drive us towards the greatest gift that those who are in Christ receive. He goes on, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of creation. God has willed you to be here. God has willed you to be in Christ. If you are here this morning, it's no accident. The Lord brought you here today to encourage you, strengthen you, to draw you unto Christ. Whether you're in Christ or running from him, he brought you here that you might know what his greatest gift that he gives is. And he has made you this through the word of truth. In other words, he is working in your heart through Christ. That you might be the first fruits of his creatures. First fruits is, is really quite fascinating, and we might just rumble over that and wonder what's going on there, or we might not even wonder why St. James uses this phrase. <clears throat> but first fruits have to do with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, if, if you're not familiar. And, and we can go back to probably the most vivid example of where giving the first made all the difference in the world, and that's with Cain and Abel. If you just read that story really quickly, you might wonder, well, God seems like maybe he just likes meat. Maybe he's a rancher or or something like that. I I don't know. But it has nothing to do with what Cain and Abel give in in the material sense, in that one gave a a calf and the other gave fruit or, or, or things of the ground. It had everything to do with the order from which they came. Abel gave God the firstborn. In other words, the first fruit of all of his labors of, of raising, I think they were sheep or, or goats, I can't remember right now, I didn't, didn't go back. I just wanted to make sure I didn't confuse Cain and Abel. Anyway. <laughs> so Abel gave the first, and Cain just gave some. And that's the big, wide difference here. Abel gave the first, and Cain didn't give the first, he just gave some of his, his offering. And yet what God calls the Old Testament people to do is give of the first fruit. In other words, the first thing that grows, you give back to God. Because that says, well, I trust that the Lord will continue to provide. And, and, and think about it. If you've grown a garden, that first tomato that pops off the vine or, or the first apple on your apple tree, how exciting and delicious that is because you've been waiting for it that whole time. But yet that's what God asks for in the first covenant. But the first fruits are also considered the choicest portion. In other words, what does this have to do with us? God is creating us. God is creating those of us, those of you who are in Christ, to be the best offering, to be the sweetest offering, wherein the resurrection of the faithful, you will be the most beautiful thing in new creation. You can have confidence that the giver of all that you have, that all that you experience, all that you have done in your life is the good father, the best father, who has brought you here today so that you might grow in being that first fruit. Now, now James goes on and and. He says, know this, but, but this is, we should, should read this as, know this, really emphatic. And, and it might seem, it, you know, as, as I was pondering this, like that's a really strange way to start this, this, this second part of our lesson out. Why is he starting with no? 
But you probably want to think about as, as knowing your spouse or best or really good friend. Right? You, you know what makes them click, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. I, I have a friend that really doesn't like fire departments. It's, like, it's weird. But it's really fun to give him a hard time about fire departments and, and wind him up. And I think he knows that I think that it's hilarious that he gets really excited about fire departments. So, so we know each other, this, these things about us, and it just winds us up. And, it, and it's fun to play around with. So that's what, what this knowing is like. It's not like when we, we were driving down to Phoenix on Friday and, and the sign said something about give, your, give your, the other drivers an assist. And I was like, I think that has something to do with basketball. And Julie said yes. <laughs> it does. So I, I know something is going on with basketball right now. It's not like knowing like that, right? You see that sign and you say, oh, that has to do with basketball. And, and also being a good driver. Please be a good driver. So when, when, when James says no, it's like you know your spouse or your best friend. You know them, understand them, and, and you know them because you've experienced some sort of emotional or a mental intimacy with them. And then he gives this maxim, right? Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow anger. And this attitude has everything to do with who we become in Christ. Being quick to hear, we read the word of God voraciously. Be hungry for its wisdom. Unpack it. Listen to what it says to you. Be willing to take correction. Right? If you've met somebody who's unable or unwilling to take correction and, and you say to them, hey, you know, why don't you try it this way? And then you see them a day later and they're still doing the same thing the old way and you're like, don't be that person. Somebody offers you a suggestion, receive it with joy. Likewise, be slow to speak. Don't be quick to correct others. If you have an issue with someone else, pray about it. If it's, if it's one that's really annoying, I, I say this from experience, your prayer is going to be something like, I can't believe Bob did that. I'm so frustrated with Bob. Why is he such a jerk? Then stop. Take a deep breath. Give it a little bit of time. Breathe. And then hopefully, the second time you pray, yes, you've got to pray about it again. It's something more like, Lord, teach me how to love Bob. Show me how to, how to understand this situation and how to, how to walk through this situation with my friend Bob so that we might both grow or something along that lines. And then, then if you still need to talk to Bob about whatever that issue was, it's going to be a lot easier. And it's not going to be coming after him with flames. Because the next thing that James says is, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger and he gives us the reason why. For ang- the anger of man, and it is man here, but, but the anger of any person, any person, <clears throat> does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We, we have fires in the winter, in our house, and, and we like to have fires until 
we can't outside and, and they're nice to sit by. And it's kind of fun to throw something on there. And if it's, if it's nice and dry, it just goes, whoosh, right? We've all seen this. We all like fire sometimes. If you throw, I, I was looking this morning as I was finishing up preparing. We had a box. I think some of Lucy's stuff's sitting in it. But if we emptied that box and threw that in the fire, at first the box would stay a box, right? And eventually the box would turn black. And, and maybe it would still look like a box, but if you took a fire poker and hit it, it would just fall apart into ashes. We've, we've all seen that happen, I think, in a fire. This is what happens when you let anger rule you. It destroys you. It destroys relationships around you. It destroys people. This is why St. James hones in on anger. Because it's so painful for those around you and it's so bad for your heart. Let's actually really think about this theologically for just a minute. If you, next time you get angry, and, and, and we all struggle with anger from time to time, next time you get angry, think about how that makes you relate to the other person. What do you think of them? What did your words accomplish if you lashed out at them in anger? You see, I, I think theologically, when we get angry, we either try and destroy them like that box. Or we try to rule over them. And for a minute it feels really good. And then all of a sudden it, it hopefully feels really icky inside. You see, anger destroys. Keep it in check. And, Paul, and James goes on. Therefore put away all, unfilthy, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Like I said, James really hones in on anger. Maybe this is something that these congregations were struggling with. Maybe he just was really convicted that, that anger was something that, that these folks had to address. But he's not limiting it to just anger. Whether it be that, that you struggle with anger or, or sexual immorality or gluttony, or dishonesty, or, or any of the other things that St. Paul has these great lists that he, he spells out things. Remember that Christ has brought you forth to be the first fruits of his creature. So, what to do? In my own struggle with anger, I, I find myself apologizing a lot. Starting with repenting to God and others, who, if I'm angry with somebody else. Repenting and, and saying, you know, I'm sorry that should not have happened. And so when you apologize, one, yes, it may, you may have to apologize 20 times a day, or you may have to repent 20 times a day the first time you, you try and, and rein this in. That's okay. Keep going. Keep going. And when you do apologize to that person that you hurt, Make it a real apology. Not one of those apologies that are like, oh, I'm sorry that you feel upset about that. that that's not a real apology. And don't excuse it. Don't say, well, I, I'm sorry I got frustrated. I'm very tired. A real, a good apology takes the blame and doesn't seek to excuse 
sinful behavior. Apologize and let that be it. And forgive. Forgive as well. But then the second part is just as important. And again, just like repenting, you may have to do it 20 times a day at first. Ask God to renew in you his implanted word. Ask the Holy Spirit to renew in you a love for Christ. Ask God through Christ, working through his word, to grow in you. If you need help with that, you have lots of opportunities here. Come to staff Bible study on Wednesday afternoons. It's lots of fun, I promise. Go to men's or ladies Bible study every, every month on Saturday morning. Or if you'd like, find a friend to read through the gospel according to St. John with our wonderful little word one-to-one books. Any of these will help that implanted word by the power of the Holy Spirit grow in you. And it takes humility. Learning to apologize for for one's mistakes, I've learned that I'm actually very bad at it, and I'm, I'm growing in it. But the first thing I learned is that I had to be meek. I had to be humble, both to receive the implanted word, but also to say, you know what, I I messed up, I I was short-tempered, I was whatever it was. It takes humility to stop trying to rule in your own heart and allow Christ to be your king, your ruler, and your guide. My friends, you have been given the best gift possible far better than bingo or, or any trinket that your, your grandchild or grandparents or wife or husband gave you. You have been given the gift of becoming the first fruit, becoming the finest, the choicest offering to God. But a part of this gift is that you exchange your life of sin for a life of righteousness in Christ. So flee from anger, flee from whatever sins you are struggling from, flee unto Christ. For you are called to righteousness, to reflect Christ's righteousness and holiness in the world. Receive the gift of life, flee from these sins, and pray and pursue this righteousness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thank you.